Let's bow our heads in prayer before we turn to the word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that it is there to teach us about how we should live and how we should serve you. And we pray that as we look further into scripture, that you would be the one speaking to us, that you would send your Holy Spirit to touch all of our hearts and all of our minds, that we would hear your voice communicating all that you wish us to learn and take on board. We pray that, Lord, your voice would sound loud and clear and anything that comes from me would fall and die to the ground. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're starting a new book this morning and uh, we're back in the Old Testament and uh, we're in the book of Joshua. So if ever there was a book that required an introduction, it is the book of Joshua. So let's launch in with a bit of a, a prelude. What's the story so far? Just to get us up to speed to where Joshua starts. Well, God, first and foremost, chose Abraham. And Abraham gave birth to Isaac. Isaac gave birth to Jacob, who we've just seen his life come to an end in Genesis. And God changed the name of Jacob to Israel. And God, uh, sorry, and Israel had 12 sons and these became the 12 tribes of Israel or the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went to live in Egypt, as we've seen, when Joseph was the prime minister. And after 400 years of uh, history, uh, Israel had become slaves in Egypt. Now the purposes of God go move on to Moses. And we see that God chose Moses. And through Moses, God brought 10 plagues on Egypt and God rescued Israel out of Egypt. Israel passed through the Red Sea and entered the wilderness. And there God made a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. And God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Moses then led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. After those 40 years, eventually Moses brought Israel to camp outside the promised land of Canaan. Moses called Israel to obey God's commands so that they could show all the nations what God is like. And Moses then dies and is buried by God on Mount Nebo. Nobody knows where. So we've gone from Abraham to Moses and now God chooses Joshua. And Joshua is appointed the new leader of the children of Israel. And he is the one appointed to lead them into the promised land. And this is where we are at the start of the book of Joshua. Joshua has just been appointed leader and he has been called to lead them into the promised land. Now, if we were to cast our minds back to Abraham, God made three promises to Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. And the first of these promises was, I will make you a great nation. And we see that this was already fulfilled. Israel went into Egypt as just a family. But by the time they came out of Egypt, they had become a great nation. The second of the promises was, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And we could already see that in effect in that all the while that Egypt blessed Israel through looking after Joseph and his brothers, Egypt was blessed. They had food to be able to see them through the famine. But when Egypt cursed Israel by not letting them go, Egypt was cursed with 10 plagues. 
God blessed those who blessed Israel and God cursed those who cursed Israel. But what about that third promise? I will give you a land. The third promise was still unfulfilled by the time that we get to the beginning of the book of Joshua. Abraham had brought a small plot of land uh, to bury Sarah and Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob and Leah were also buried there. But they didn't possess the land, the land that God had promised. And this is what the book of Joshua is all about. The book of Joshua is about the fulfilment of this third promise. The book of Joshua shows us that our God is a promise keeping God. The book of Joshua is all about Israel inheriting the land that God had promised to them all those years before. So let's just take a quick look at the structure of the book. It's very simple. Chapters 1 to 5 of Joshua are about Israel entering the land. Chapters 6 to 12 are about Israel conquering the land. Chapters 13 to 22 are about Israel inheriting the land. And then the last two chapters, 23 and 24, are an epilogue. They are Joseph's two parting speeches and his eventual death. So this is the structure of the book and that gives us some way to be able to handle it and know where we're going into. I think it's also useful for us to be able to see where the book, book of Joshua sits within the whole canon of uh, the Old Testament. So the, uh, the Old Testament can be split into four uh, types of book. You've got the first five books uh, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. These are the books written by Moses. They're sometimes called the Pentateuch. By the Jews, they're called the Torah. Uh, then it's followed by the historical books. And Joshua is the first of the historical books. And so there is a common thread that runs in, in the narrative from Joshua through Judges, Ruth, Samuel and Kings, where we see the story of Israel moving forward. Then in the book of the Old Testament, you've got the wisdom books made up of uh, the Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes and, uh, and uh, uh, the Song of Solomon. And then finally, you've got all the prophetic books in the Old Testament. You've got the large prophetic writings of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then you've got the 12 minor prophets. But Joshua is there, the first of the historical books. And I think it's useful for us to know this outline and the characteristic of the different books in the Bible to see that God has an order and a design within his word. I want to talk to you briefly about typology. Typology is a theological term which speaks of things in the Old Testament that foreshadow or are a picture of things in the New Testament. Um, so, for example, Jonah foreshadows Jesus Jonah is a type of Jesus because Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, just as Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights. So jo Jonah is a type of Jesus. Also in the Old Testament, we've got Isaac who foreshadows Jesus as well or as a type of Jesus because Abraham goes to sacrifice his son Isaac, just as the father in heaven sacrifices his son Jesus. So these examples of types, but it's not just people who are types. Um, you can have objects as types as well, as Ian has been showing us in the book of Exodus. Um, within Exodus, we see a list of the many articles of furniture found in the tabernacle. And all of these foreshadow Jesus in some way. 
So the lampstand is a type of Jesus who is the light of the world. The table of showbread is a type of Jesus because Jesus is the bread of life. So in the same way that this is what typology is, many people uh, look at the story of the book of Joshua and they see a typology within the whole of the book of Joshua as well. And what some people say is that the children of Israel going into the promised land is a picture of believers going to heaven. And you can't see this any more clearly than in some of the hymns that have been written. I really like, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. In the first verse, it says, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land, which is a picture of the Jews going through the promised land. And that's, sorry, going through the wilderness. And it's picturing the Christian life as going through the wilderness. The second verse says, open now the crystal fountain, whence the healing stream doth flow. Let the fiery cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. And again, the Christian walk is seen as going through the wilderness. And then finally, when on the third verse, when I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction land me safe on Canaan's side. And there within the hymn, the picture of the Jews crossing the Jordan River to enter the promised land is given as a picture of us passing the veil of death and going to heaven. It's a very beautiful picture, but unfortunately I don't agree with it at all. I don't think um, the uh, Jews crossing the Jordan, going to the promised land, is an accurate, accurate type of believers passing the veil of death and going to heaven. And why? Well, as you will see in the book of Joshua, it will be marked with war and conflict, deception and defeat in the promised land, and you'll see death and execution in the promised land. Now, to me, that's not a picture of heaven. Heaven doesn't have war, conflict, deception, death and execution. So I think the typology of that song is wrong. But I do think that there is a, a typology within the book of Joshua. It's a foreshadow. And what I think it is, is it's a foreshadow of the victorious Christian life. Of us coming into the fullness of God's promises for our lives. Of inheriting all the blessings that that come with walking in the spirit. Many Christians maintain a Christian life in the wilderness, trudging endlessly around in circles, grumbling and defeated, operating in the old man. They never walk, they never reach the potential of who they are in Christ. And coming into the promised land is a picture of us coming into the full potential of who we can be in Christ. Joshua is a call to press into the fullness of what God has for us. And it requires faith to enter the promised land. It requires commitment to take up the sword of the spirit and become serious with the word. And it requires determination to do battle with the enemies to spiritual growth. And as we enter into the book of Joshua, I need to ask the question, are you ready to fight for a deeper walk with Jesus? The book of Joshua is a type of the Christian fight. The soldier of Christ has three enemies, the devil, the world and the flesh. We have three enemies, the devil, the world and the flesh. And I don't know about you, 
But my biggest enemy is not the devil, it's not the world, it's my flesh. That is my biggest battle. And Israel took dominion of the land of Canaan, just as we need to take dominion of our lives. We need to slay the false gods of Canaan in our heart. We need to drive out the Canaanite kings of pride, position and power in our lives. They claim the land for God and we need to claim our life for Jesus. And again, as we go into the book of Joshua, I need to ask, are you ready to fight for a life that is truly surrendered to God? The book of Joshua is a type of putting on the new man in Christ. With the exception of Caleb and Joshua, who were both men of faith, not a single man who left Egypt entered Canaan, entered the promised land. The old men died in the wilderness. The new men entered the promised land. Moving forward in your walk with God, is about the old man dying and the new man putting on the new man, being clothed in that new man. Which is very much like the themes that we've been recently reading in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, isn't it? And I think there is a parallel between the book of Ephesians and the book of Joshua. Just as Joshua speaks of Israel coming into the fullness of God's blessing, so the book of Ephesians speaks of the church coming into the fullness of God's promises. The thing is, for Joshua and Israel, it was a physical battle. For us in the church, it is a spiritual battle. But just as victory was promised for Israel, so victory is promised to us if we walk in faith and obedience. And again, I've got to ask the question, are you ready to fight, to cast off the old man and put on the new man, to come into the fullness of all that God has for you? Right, now we can start going into the text proper. So Joshua, chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the left right, left or to the right, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Succeeding godly and distinguished leaders is not easy. It couldn't have been easy for Joshua. Their shadow looms large, their knowledge and experience dwarf yours, and you feel woefully equipped to step into their shoes. And in that situation, what you need is not advice, you need encouragement. People to come alongside and support and help you. And in this verse uh, paragraph that we've read here, verses one to nine of chapter one, we see God encouraging Joshua. What's interesting is in verses 10 to 15, we then see Joshua encourage his officers. And then in verses 16 to 18, the officers in turn encourage Joshua. And I think this is a pattern for the body of Christ. The pastor needs to be built up and encouraged first by the Lord. Then he can build up and encourage the congregation. And then the congregation can build up and encourage the pastor. And it becomes a strong, solid unit. And we see here Israel becoming a strong, solid unit, united, ready to go into the promised land. Moses had been set apart from birth to deliver Israel from the Egyptians. Now Joshua is set apart to deliver Israel into the promised land. Leaders don't lead forever. The old must die and the new must come forth. As Solomon said, there's a time to be born and a time to die. There is a time for new beginnings. There is a time for a new generation. And there is a time for new leadership. And sadly, we all know that life does not continue as it always did. Old chapters in our life close and new chapters open. People die, people whom we loved dearly. And children are born and we rejoice in their birth just as we mourn the death of those that we love. And there are those relationships which come to an end and there are new relationships that God fosters and brings forth. Corners must be turned, life must go on and adjusting to change is not easy and I guess for many it felt like Moses would always be there. Moses was the normal. Now Joshua is the new normal and there has to be an adjustment and change. And it must have been difficult for Joshua. It was fine all the while that Moses, he was Moses' servant. Uh, but now suddenly Joshua is in the driving seat and the buck stops with him. It's easy to sit on the seat and look at the person in charge and think, I could do that. But the moment that you're in control is a different kettle of fish altogether, believe you me. And I reckon reality must have sunk in fast and hard for Joshua. And Joshua, while prepared by Moses, was no Moses. Joshua was no Moses and he must have felt that. And I think there was a reason why God said three times in those verses that we've just read, be strong and of good courage. God only says be strong and of good courage if you're feeling weak and lacking in courage. And I think this is who Joshua was at this moment in time. He felt weak. He felt a lack of courage. But it's interesting, how did Moses feel at the beginning of his calling, I wonder? How did Moses feel at the beginning of his calling? 
Well, if you were to go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, it's very interesting. Exodus 3, verse 11 says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses, at the beginning of his calling, felt weak and he lacked courage, just like Joshua. And I think that's a good place for a person to be at the beginning of their calling, weak and lacking in courage, because then you don't rely upon yourself, you rely upon God. How did Moses become the man that he did? Well, the following verse in Exodus 3 tells us, Exodus 3.12, So he, God, said to Moses, I will certainly be with you. I will certainly be with you. The way that Moses became the man he did was because God was with him. And what does God now say to Joshua? Well, it says there in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. The same God who was with Moses in all that he did is the same God who will be with Joshua in all he will do. And I think it's a very important thing for us to take note that you do not assume a role of leadership unless you have the call of God on your life. Because where there is the call, there is the companionship of God. But where there is no call, you are on your own. You need to make sure that you have that call of God on your life. You're going to step up to spiritual leadership. Now, if we were to look at verse um, two, it says, Moses, my servant is dead. So Moses is described as uh, the servant of God. Uh, but in verse one, we see that Joshua is described as Moses' assistant. Now that word assistant could quite legitimately be translated uh, servant as well. So Joshua had been the servant of Moses and Moses had been the servant of God. And true spiritual leadership is not about authority, where you put yourself first and everyone else is used to build you up. True spiritual leadership is about service, where you put everyone else first and build them up. Moses had been the servant of one man. Moses. Sorry, what did I say? Joshua had been the servant of one man, Moses. Now he would become the servant of many, namely all Israel. You see, Joshua was faithful in the small thing, and so now God made him responsible for the greater thing. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, it says in Luke 16, 10. And Joshua had been faithful in the small, so now he was going to be called to the great. And that's a lesson for us all. Don't despise the day of small things, but be faithful in what God has called you to do. Serve him where he has called you to serve. And one last thing we must remember, the most important person is not the servant, i.e. Joshua, but it is the master. The most important person is the master. So we don't look to the servant, we look to the master, we look to God. Now in verses three and six, three to six, I just want to repeat again, it says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. 
from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. As Joshua is called, so Joshua is commissioned. And the task is very simple, to cross the Jordan and bring the children of Israel into Canaan. Now, there's a phrase there that I want us to be very conscious of. And let me see if I can find it. Yes. It's in verse 2. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to you. To the land which I am giving to you. Whose land is it? It's God's. It's God's land. And to whom is God giving the land? He's giving it to the children of Israel. It says it there very clearly in verse 2. Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2 we all know. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Whether it be ancient history or whether it be modern day, the earth is the Lord's and he can give it to whomever he chooses. And scripture declares that God gave the land of Canaan to Israel. And nowhere in scripture does it say he has ever rescinded that gift or taken it away. Romans 11 verses 29 says, The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They are without repentance. What God gives, he doesn't take away. Now, God may well have taken Israel into captivity later on in history. God may well have dispersed Israel among the nations, but he never took the land from them. Their name is still on the title deeds as far as God is concerned. And it's important for us to recognise that. I fear the nation that tries to take Israel from the land that God has given them. And I fear the nation that proposes a peace plan that takes away Israel's possession and rulership over Jerusalem. Because when they do that, they don't oppose Israel. They oppose the God of Israel. So there are three tasks specifically that God gives Joshua. Number one, cross the river and claim the land. Number two, defeat the enemies in the land. And number three, divide the land. Cross the river, claim the land, divide the enemies in the land and divide the land. Now, what's most interesting to me is God tells Joshua what to do, but he does not tell Joshua how to do it. When what God does do, though, is he gives Joshua promises. He says, no man shall stand before you all the days of your life. He says, I will be with you. And he says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Now, if it's me and I'm in the situation of Joshua and I'm being told to cross this river, I'm thinking, how am I going to cross this river? And if I'm being told you need to go and defeat these enemies, I'm thinking, how am I going to defeat these enemies? And if I'm being told I've got to divide the land, I'm thinking, how am I going to divide this land? But God doesn't give us explanations. God gives us promises and he wants us to lean upon those promises and trust in those promises. Whenever God calls a person, 
He calls them to trust in his promises and to step out in faith. And only when you have trusted in his promises and stepped out in faith will he start to give you directions. But he won't give you the whole game plan. He'll just give you a little bit at a time what you need to know for today. And it's infuriating because how often does God give you directions for today and they make no sense and you can't see how they fit into the wider plan. But that's because the true child of God, if they're going to move forward and into a deeper walk, must move forward by trusting upon the promises in the word of God and walk by faith. The just shall live by faith, declares the word of God. We need to be stretched and moved forward in our faith if we're to grow into the fullness of all that God has for us. Now, if you would go to Her Majesty's Land Registry website, there are two types of document that you can purchase. Both cost you £3. And for £3, you can buy the title deeds to a property, a document that states who owns the land. Now, we've already seen the title deeds, the fact that God owns the land, and now he's written uh, the children of Israel upon those title deeds, so they are in possession of the land. But then you get the title plan. And the title plan, which also costs you three quid on the website, is a document which states the boundaries of the land. And here, in verses three to four, we see the boundaries on the title plan. Now, I could read it out to you again in verse four, but I don't know how clear that would be to you. So I've got another picture to try and help it make sense. Now, this is a picture of the Middle East. That's the area that God promised to the children of Israel. Extended into Egypt, it covered uh, the north half of Saudi Arabia, half of Iraq, the whole of Jordan, Lebanon, Syria. And it says there, um, all the land of the Hittites. And the Hittites occupied what is now Turkey as well. So that is roughly the area that God promised to Israel. Now, how much of that does Israel possess at this moment in time? It's that little green patch there. It's very small in uh, comparison to the land that God promised his people. Israel did not claim the entire land that God gave to them. And why? Their faith faltered. They compromised with the inhabitants of the land and they became content with their lot. And because their faith faltered, because they compromised and because they became content with their lot, they missed out on the fullness of what was theirs. How many Christians miss out on the fullness of what the Lord has for them? Because their faith has faltered, because they have compromised with their flesh and the world and because they have been content with where they are in their walk and they've not pressed in to all the riches and spiritual blessings that God has for them. Look at the small amount that Israel had has compared to all they could have had. And so often it's the same for Christians. We're content with such a small amount when God has got so much more for us. If only we would move forward in faith and obedience. And I've got to be honest, I must ask myself, how many hours, days, weeks have I wasted watching television when I could have been pressing in to what the Lord has for me personally? How often have I shown mercy to my flesh 
when I should have been more ruthless and make sure he was slain. How slow have I been to step out in faith, hesitating to move into what God has called and commanded of me. And I do ask myself, how much of the promised land God has for me have I already lost through the time that I've wasted in my life? The present boundaries of Israel may not match those of the title plan, but I believe that when Jesus Christ returns to establish his earthly kingdom, Israel will inherit its full boundaries. But I find myself also asking the question, what about Calvary Chapel Maidstone? What are the boundaries God has fixed for us to press into? It's easy for me to look out the window and think, well, it's my house is where we meet. Maybe it's just the Seneca estate where we where we live is what the boundaries are. But maybe the boundaries are the whole of Maidstone town for us to reach for Jesus. But you know what? When God first started to speak to me about Calvary Chapel Maidstone, I had in my imagination's eye a hub in Medway, a hub in Ashford, us having people coming to join us from as far as Tunbridge. Now you might doubt and question and say, well, is that possible? Well, we see that the inheritance of Israel extended as far as the sole of the feet were willing to tread. How far are we willing to tread? How far are we willing to go to be a witness for Jesus? I think there is quite an extensive boundary that God has set for us as a church. What did God say to Joshua three times? Be strong and be of good courage. I think the verse for us as a church is Revelation 3 verse 8. Behold, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. I believe God has set an open door for us in Calvary Chapel Maidstone and no one can shut it. Now I'm not talking about dominion theology. I'm not advocating a form of that. I'm advocating stepping out in faith in the light of God's promises. There is many people that we can reach for Jesus and there is many things that we can do. And I don't think the boundaries are yet fixed for all that we can reach out to. But we must step forward in faith. Going on in verses 7 and 8, we read, Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Verses 7 and 8 come with the same guarantee that you may prosper wherever you go, that you will make your way prosperous. There's a promise there of being able to prosper. And then Joshua was a military general. If you might cast your memory back when Israel fought the Amalekites in the book of Exodus, Moses lifted up his staff and Aaron and Hur supported him on either side. And it says in Exodus 17:11. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. And whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Well, that was Moses on the mountain. Who was down on the ground leading the armies of Israel in the battle? It was none other than Joshua. Joshua was a military general that had already led the people of Israel into conflict. 
He was the perfect man to be able to lead them into the promised land. And like every military general, you want success in your campaigns. You study the strategies of past commanders. You learn from previous campaigns to give a greater possibility of prospering in the coming conflict. And so when God comes here in verses 7 and 8 and he gives a surefire way of prospering, Joshua was all ears. He wanted to know. And it wasn't through some battle strategy. It wasn't through looking at some previous campaign. What God says is, if you want to prosper, observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, has commanded you. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. The Bible is the key to victory in the promised land. The Bible is the key to victory in the promised land. And let me say, the Bible is the key to victorious Christian living for us too. And you might think, well, that sounds like nuts. How can reading the Bible help you in a military campaign? Well, remember Isaiah 55 verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Remember the battle of God. The battles of God are won by faith, not by force. The battles of God are won by faith and not by force. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What was needed most of all for Joshua is for his faith to be built up. So he had the courage to step forward in what God was calling him to do. Faith would take him into the promised land. Faith would help him in his battle strategies. Faith would guarantee the victory. And it is faith that will take us forward in our walk with God. Faith that will give us victory in the battles. And that faith comes by reading the word of God. Back at the end of Deuteronomy, chapter, uh, yeah, back at the end of the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 31, verses 9 to 13, we read that after Moses handed over leadership to Joshua, Moses also handed over the law he wrote to the Levites. And he charged the Levites to read it to the Israelites, and that on one day every seven years they were to read the whole of the law. Now I think to myself, how good would that be in this country? That once every seven years there was a national Bible study that everybody was called to attend when the entire books of Moses were being read. How would that impact society and what change could that make? Well, the Lord required a higher standard for Joshua, not to read the book of the law just one day every seven years. He said, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you should meditate in it day and night. Joshua had to read the Bible on a daily basis. And not only that, not just read it, he had to make it part of him by meditating on it. And that word meditate could be literally translated mutter or groan. And it carries the idea of repeating the word that you have read underneath your breath to continually bring it back to your memory, to recite it so it sinks in and takes hold of you. It influences and changes your thinking. You may well have heard of the example, if not, it's worth repeating anyway, that a cow has four stomachs and when they chew the cud, they swallow it down into one of their stomachs, they regurgitate it, chew it a bit more, swallow it into a second stomach, regurgitate it, bring up into their mouth, 
And what they do is until it goes through all four stomachs, ex extracting the maximum amount of goodness from the grass. And that's what it should be like for the Christian. And this is what it should be like for Joshua to meditate upon the word of God, to regurgitate it, chew it over, swallow it, to then chew it over again to get the maximum amount of goodness from it. And if you want to prosper in your Christian walk, the way that God wanted Joshua to prosper in the battle into the promised land. We, like he, must meditate upon the word of God daily. Verses 10 and 11 of the chapter say, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days... You will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. <clears throat> so the commanding officers are told, we're going to be crossing the Jordan in three days, lads. We must get ready the people. The now, the Jordan River can appear quite narrow. I certainly know that when I went to Israel, um, it was quite narrow where we were. In fact, Abby and I went for a walk along with the children along the Midway on Friday. And there were places along the Midway where it was wider and deeper than the Jordan was when we were in Israel. But in flood season, the Jordan can be up to one mile wide and it can be treacherous. And my understanding from the commentaries that I've read is at this point in time, the Jordan was very high and very wide and not easy to navigate or cross. And here the commanding officer is being told, be ready, three days time lads, we're going to be crossing the river. So you're getting ready to cross the Jordan in three days. What command would you give to your troops? I'd be thinking, can all people with bridge building skills meet in my tent pronto? And anyone who knows what a pontoon is, come too. Or I'd be thinking, can we have all the boat builders assemble and get to work, please? We've got three days. And swimmers, can you start giving lessons and pump up the buoyancy aids? That's the sort of message I'd be giving. But what does Joshua say get your food ready let's get some food ready yes no no command to give him but to give food but to prepare food and this is a man after my own heart a man <coughs> who likes to prepare food but we know i don't know whether it was napoleon or frederick the great that saying an army marches on its stomach the manna was continuing to fall even though they were coming to the come out of the wilderness Every day they had to go and gather the manna to feed themselves. And the manna would only cease once they were in the land. And it was important for the people to maintain their strength. But what is very clear here is that Joshua doesn't second guess God how they're going to cross the Jordan. He doesn't start to build boats. That would be stepping forward in the flesh trying to second guess God, work out how, we, how he's going to do it. But he waits for God to show the way. This is a man who is operating in faith. This is a man operating with complete reliance upon God. He knows he's got three days. He doesn't know how it's going to happen, but he's trusting in God. He does have Caleb with him. And of course, he and Caleb were the only ones to have walked through the Red Sea on dry land. And God made a way when there was no way back then, so God can make a way again. 
verses 12 to 15. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valour, and help them. Until the Lord has given your brethren rest, as he has given you, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on the side, so on this side of the Jordan, towards the sunrise. Now Jezreel had previously defeated Og king of Bashan and Sion king of the Amorites on the east side of the river Jordan. And the tribes of Reuben, Gad and Manasseh had approached Moses to ask whether they could settle on the east side because it was good land. This can be read in Numbers 32. And Moses sought God who gave his consent on the one condition that they accompanied their fellow tribes across the Jordan to help capture the rest of the land for their fellow tribesmen. Now comes the time for uh, these three tribes of Reuben, Gad and Manasseh to keep their promise and to honour their word. Now, they could have said, well, that was Moses that we said that to, and you're Joshua, a new leader. We need new terms. I think it's time to negotiate. But they don't do that. Let's read on in verse 16. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Reuben, Gad and Manasseh are true to their word. They swear allegiance to Joshua. As they followed Moses, so they will follow Joshua. There's only one proviso, only the Lord God be with you. They will follow the man who is with the Lord God. You have enough to be dealing with without worrying about us. You focus on what God is calling you to do, Joshua, they're saying. And when you look around, we'll be right there behind you. And that's what leadership really needs, the support and encouragement of others. If leaders are busy trying to manage people, their momentum and progress is impeded and people can't move forward into the fullness of what God has intended for them. Joshua's rise to leadership was not the consequence of family succession. It's not a case that his father was leader, so now he's leader. And Joshua's leadership was not the consequence of political intrigue. There was no campaign, there was no orchestration for him to get into that role. He was in leadership because he was called to be leader by God. Unlike society, in the kingdom of God, leadership comes, first of all, as a result of the call of God, and second of all, as a result of being confirmed by the people. If you are in leadership just because um, God has called you, but you haven't had that confirmation from people, then it's not yet time. And if you're in leadership because everybody else wants you in leadership, but you haven't got that call from God, it's not right for you to be in leadership. You need that call from God 
and you need that confirmation from the people. And this is what happened right here in Joshua. And it's interesting, the tribes of Reuben, Gad and Manasseh say to Joshua, only be strong and of good courage. These are exactly the words God spoke to Joshua three times before. And this must have been a confirmation of God's words to Joshua when he heard it. The people are in one voice with God. He has brought us together. Now it's time for us to move forward. The wilderness was behind. The promised land lay ahead. The children of Israel were ready. The officers were ready. All they had to do was follow Joshua to victory. And in closing, Joshua's wasn't his original name. Joshua's original name was Hosea. You can see that in Numbers 13. But it was Moses who changed the name of Hosea to Joshua. And Joshua means Jehovah saves. But Joshua in Greek is pronounced Jesus. The way to victory, the way to fullness of blessing, the way to the promised land comes from following Jesus. And the same is true for us. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that which you have spoken to us this morning. Help us to be people that want to press in to the promised land, to come into the fullness of all that you have for us. Help us to be people that operate in faith. Help us to be those who put our trust completely in you, that stand on the promises of God and follow Jesus wherever he leads us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.